Welcome to the Home Assistant Podcast, episode number six. Joining me is Phil and Paula. Hey, guys. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for joining me, as always, and also thanks to our listeners for coming along. And we've actually been receiving a decent amount of good feedback from everyone, so that's good. We do appreciate your, you know, kind words of thanks, this is interesting, and things like that. Especially the recent episode with Carlo, um, I think that's really inspired a lot of people, including myself. I now have Android tablets on my wall. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my I'm wife, a very good salesman for a lot of things, and I'm also sold. I'm just waiting to decide on the hardware I'm going to use for those tablets as well. <laughs> yeah, my wife got home from two weeks away to go. What are all these tablets doing on the walls? <laughs> Oops. Um, right, so our, I guess our headline topic this week is voice and intense, um, and that's why Palace is here, because he wanted to come in and talk about it, because it is a pretty darn exciting feature. Yeah, so intense is something that we uh, released in version 50 uh, two weeks ago, and intense is kind of allowing, kind of like to build the next level of uh, components and functionality into Home Assistant, so... Before Intense, we had devices, and devices would be exposed by components via services. And services were really like the lowest level of control that a user can do. And, then, and these services would just provide like, hey, turn this on, turn this off, set the temperature. And the, but then the voice assistants came in. And so we had the Amazon Echo, and we had the Google Home. And these provide, uh, they use intents, and an intent is like a user intention to do something. But we kind of had this disconnect where we had intents directly mapped to services and to scripts without allowing component developers to actually put some, you know, real handling of the voice, like real handling of the intent with some uh, more functionality in place. Um, and so with this new layer of intent in Home Assistant, we can actually start building uh, applications on top of Home Assistant. Um, so one example that we introduced with the launch of Intent was a shopping list. Yeah, the shopping list, that looked great. Yeah, and so if you use uh, if we use the Google Home or the Amazon Echo, you can configure Intents for a shopping list and you can uh, map it to the shopping list component in Home Assistant. Or... Um, if you are just using the voice UI inside the Home Assistant uh, front end, which we have also updated to uh, show responses, you can actually also interact from the front end and directly add things to your shopping list. So in theory, if you had uh, a Google Home, Amazon Echo, and the Home Assistant front end, you could tell all three devices to add something to your shopping list and it would all go to the same shopping list in Home Assistant. Is that yes. right? The only thing, yeah, perfect. So the the only difference from the perspective of like the shopping list application or the component, for example, so the shopping list component can automatically configure the voice assistant in uh, the front end to listen for the sentences and convert it to an intent. When it comes to the Alexa or Google Home, you will have to create a skill that generates those intents and then send those to a Home Assistant. Yeah, right, which you have to do at the moment. Um, I believe even before this, you'd had to create a skill, set up your sentences and your utterances, and then push them through your home assistant that way. Yeah, and that is still very cumbersome. And I, um, it's uh, kind of difficult to actually get started 
with uh with these things to get you know because you have to set a port forwarding yeah. amazon echo you have to register like a developer account and have a lambda function um and it's it, it's not very accessible yet for the average user to like start adding utterances to their uh you know, to allow the Amazon Echo to actually understand what you're saying, convert it to an intent. Mm. Um, we had some better experience with Snips because Snips, you you configure it in their web UI, but then you can download it to your uh, computer. And like inside HasIO, we can uh, launch Snips uh, with a single click. Um, so that made it easier, but I think the easiest one is just the, the front end right now inside the home assistant user interface. Um, the only downside right now is that it's all English. Um, so, so we use the Google Chrome, uh, speech to text or like, it's actually a web standard, but, um, I've been mainly, I haven't actually tested in other browsers than Google Chrome, but we should be able, I saw that Safari has it too. And. Um, they also uh, browsers will support different languages. So, because right now we the Home Assistant UI will only listen to you in English, and we are actually looking into also making support for whatever browser, uh, whatever the browser can support that we can support in the UI. So, listen in German, listen in French, or whatever support there is. Yeah. That means that someone has to add listen and click on support as well. Yeah, this is actually some also like a, a longer term thing that we're working on is just localization, right? Like it's been requested yeah. like a lot of times and a lot of people have suggested like, hey, I will translate this for you, the home system UI in this language and in this language. Um, but the problem is we had to, you know, the, the user interface has to be... Um, like re-architected because every time I printed like a piece of text, it now has to look like, hey, which text um, do we, like which language has the user has picked, then combine it with uh, what is the piece of text that I want to uh, print, then check, do we have a translation for that piece of text in the language that we need to print? If not, then fall back to English. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So, but actually Adam Mills is working on this. Um, so we also oh, it is actually being worked on actively. Yes, yes, we had nice. a we had a proof of concept uh, a couple of months ago, but at that point in time, uh, I told them to uh, shelve it because I first wanted to upgrade the Home Assistant front end to use the Polymer two technology, mm -hmm. but that has been released today. At, uh, Home Assistant fifty one. Yeah, so there was massive updates to the configuration panel as well. Um, it looks like you've reorganized, so you've put all the like Z-Wave and all the extra automation panels just inside that one configuration area now. Yeah, and this was a bigger redesign. I had it in mind for a longer period of time, and the reason I wanted to reorganize this is that now it's kind of in a way where we can scale it to many configuration panels because you click on configuration, you get to like a menu, and the menu there's... Um, automation editor, and then there's the, the old, I call it now configuration.yaml, I might still tweak that to like core or general or something. Um, but yeah, so I think a script editor is gonna be added soon because that's pretty much a subset of the automation editor. Um, 
they're very similar now, scripts and automations with their actions. So, you know, most of the stuff that you can do in scripts, you can also do in your action triggers. So it makes sense that you'll be able to edit scripts in line as well now too. Yeah, no, they're actually they're exactly the same. They both use the, the script syntax. Um, and we are, you know, any other component that we have that uh, supports reloading of configuration on the fly could be eventually added uh, to the configuration panel to make it all easier to uh, use and configure. And so that's all using the Polymer 2 now. So there's, I think there's some speed increases as well by upgrading. There's definitely a speed increase. Um, so Polymer 1 had to do some workarounds for certain uh, browsers, including uh, Safari and Safari on iOS. And these workarounds are gone. So they migrated to using a new web standard called Web Components V1. And by having Safari on iOS run this natively, it means that all of a sudden every iPhone uh, running Home Assistant front end becomes a lot faster. Hooray. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> And so actually some more um, speed, yeah, speed improvements. There's uh, the history component um, with the uh, all the graphs and stuff. I just upgraded to 5.1 this morning and it, the just viewing the history it has been so much faster now. Yeah, Greg Labs, he did an amazing job where he looked at all the different queries that we are doing uh, to show the history in the front end. And then he looked at the indexes that we had and he analyzed the different queries and he's been optimizing them. And um, yeah, now it's just, he managed to get them all super fast. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, so the only, the only downside is that we have this uh, migration. So if you have a big database and you upgrade to 51, it might take a while. And this is something that we couldn't finish in time and I, wish we had was that right now the front end doesn't show up while the migration is running and this means that you might think that your home assistant is broken and you might like end up restarting home assistant or turning your pie off mm. don't do it because it might break your database yeah yeah if the queries stop halfway through it's not gonna end well for anyone I actually did this morning, and I've uh, had a lot of trouble with the database being really slow. I'm on a MySQL server, but uh, the update I was expecting it to take, you know, fifteen, twenty minutes, went away. But no, they didn't even uh, have any extra time added at all. Home Assistant booted up very quickly, so I was very impressed. Hey everyone, I just wanted to take a minute to talk about the Eufy Video Lock. It's a smart lock that's really easy to set up with just a Phillips screwdriver and no extra drilling. It's got a keyless entry, so you don't need to worry about fumbling with the keys when your hands are full. Also, you don't need to worry about handing out extra keys when you're in a pinch, your kids losing them, or people copying the key and passing it around to each other. Something else I like about the Eufy Video Lock is that it has a camera built in and it works as a doorbell as well. Personally, I think the Eufy Video Lock is great for apartments or cottages where you can't necessarily add extra holes for a video doorbell. My favorite part about it though is that there isn't a monthly fee and your recordings are locally stored, so you don't have to worry about someone else owning your doorbell data. You can find it on Amazon, or if you want to know more, search Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Nice.
Do we know what percentage of the user base actually used the history component? I actually have mine turned off because I'm pushing everything into Prometheus. I, I think a lot of people will have it turned on for because it's turned on by default. Mm. Um, but the, the, the downside with using something like Prometheus is that there's no nice integration into Home Assistant. So when you click an entity, you don't see the history from Prometheus. You can only see the recorder history. Yeah. That's actually something I was thinking about the other day is like, how can we allow other components to also plug into like, you know, being the history provider or at least show up in the, on the dialogue that pops up with the information about an entity. Um, right now, we just have some extended control and maybe some extended information about the entity. But it would be great if, you know, we had different kind of tabs where, you know, Prometheus could, uh, for example, or Grafana could show some graphs or show some ways to interact or see what they've learned about that entity based on the history. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. And just going back to um, speaking of Safari um, previously, the um, automation editor's kind of been finished off and now also supports Safari. I presume a lot of that's come from the, the Polymer 2 upgrade, has it? Yes. So the, the Polymer 2 upgrade, because uh, there's no longer run, a workaround, Safari, it will just work with Safari. Um, and that was actually almost like a freebie from the Polymer 2 upgrade. Um, nice. And now, but then because... Because it was working in Safari, um, we decided to also just add all the missing uh, conditions and triggers and actions. Uh, we support all the basic things for all these options. So, for example, the state trigger, we do not support configuring the for option yet. So you can have a state automation trigger if a certain state has been set for 10 minutes, for example. Mm. You cannot configure it yet through the automation editor. But if you have an automation that uses it and you have set it through YAML, you can still edit the other parts of the automation. It will not throw it away. It will oh, keep it up. Excellent. Because I've always been worried about using that editor to you know, make a, a quick change, but I'm like, oh, what if it destroys some YAML that I, I've got in there? I'm a bit, always a bit worried. I don't want to lose that automation when saving. Yeah, no, we, we try to not destroy anything because um, that would be the worst. Like the idea of the automation editor is that we can start incrementally support more of your configuration through editing. Um, and as long as, because we're not gonna support everything at once or maybe even ever. So we put a lot of effort into making sure that it's just incremental and we're not throwing away any of the configuration. And so uh, we're talking about voice before. Um, another little um, voice enhancement that I saw come through on the release notes is um, the Alexa Intense support. Um, I know yeah, people with Google Home, uh, Google Home has the ability to add shortcuts so you can say, okay, Google, good night, and have Home Assistant shut everything down for you. But uh, this one, it sounds like now you can do something like uh, Alexa, good night, and have her... Um, fire off a script in Home Assistant. So I'm really excited. Um, Steve Rhodes contributed that. So I'm really excited to test this one out as well. That could be a good way to sort of level the playing field with you've got both a Google Home and an Amazon Echo in the house. I actually really love the uh, the sample one. It's uh, If you're familiar with Star Trek, you can actually say uh, computer red alert and have your Home Assistant fire off something without having to say Alexa, 
tell Home Assistant to do something. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that like the, the voice integration, you know, also the Amazon Echo and the Google Home, these products, they are still being developed. And, you know, it's not like with mobile phones where like, oh, your mobile phone is two years old. Like, forget about it. I feel, you know, the main interface is a voice and the microphone is not going to change that much. Um, mm. And so it will be great. You know, they will be able to keep just adding new features even till the older Amazon Echoes. And so anyone can benefit. Uh, so is there anything else you wanted to cover off about voice before we move on? Uh, not for me. Uh, no. All right, so point the point five one release. Um, Phil, you have a you have a question. I do. So um, we just had uh, the point five zero release, and now point five one. Um, Polis, do you see Home Assistant ever being at a, a version one point zero? Ooh. Um, so actually, I'm not sure if we want to just do a one point zero. Um, or that we just, I was also thinking because people, we always talk about the numbers, version 49, version 50. Mm. Um, and so when I saw another project, do, it's called React. They just went, they used to have like uh, 29 or something. And then, oh no, they had like 13, point, point 13, and then it went to 14. And so maybe um, we will just go to like version 52 or 53 eventually. I think that. People put it in a lot of, uh, they think that like your version one, then we're going to be stable and we're going to, you know, everything is done to a certain level. But I think with home automation and new devices entering the markets and even whole new concepts like the voice assistant, right? It didn't exist when we started the home assistant. I find it very difficult, like what would be version one? And, you know, calling something version one is kind of an easy thing to do, but then when is it going to be version two? Are we then just going to be like 1.50 at some point? Um, yeah, and then how do you define what is a big enough leap to call it, you know, a version 1, 2, version 2, or what's a 1.5 release like? Yeah. The only thing that's kind of confusing right now is that Has.io, uh, their releases, uh, they just released 51 as well. <laughs> so now it's kind of confusing because Has.io, the... In the system of Has.io has a, its own version numbering, but it's the same with Home Assistant right now. And I think the same so, with uh, AppDaemon or any of the other sort of little satellite projects going around as well now. They all might have different version numbers. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, we thought about also, like, Has.io should it be 1.0 when we released it. Um, and I, I think in the end, I think um, a lot of people just, they put a lot of, you know, value in a version number, but I actually myself, I don't really. So maybe the next release will just be 52. Um, and then, you know, I think Chrome does a similar thing. I think Chrome is uh, around 58 now. Yeah. Every six to a major release as well. So we might stick with that. Sounds excellent. Yeah. And I think, you know, well, cause if there's a version one, like, is there anything that I wish we had today? Like, Internationalization is nice to have. Um, having maybe more configuration editor UI is nice to have. Um, but I think the base system of home automation is all about the home assistant is all about the automation, and you know that has been solid for a long time. And it's just like a project that'll never get done. You know, you you constantly be pushing back that you know we can't say it's version one until we've got this, or you know 
next month a new product will come out. Oh, we can't say version one until we have this feature in. So it makes sense that I think uh, you're right. Like eventually Home Assistant will just become instead of 0.50, it'll be 5.0, Home Assistant 5.0 or 5.1. Yeah, and I think once you go high enough, people will kind of not, you know, expect it that like a 2.0 is going to happen. Like if it's just like, hey, we're version 50. People yeah. are like, oh, yeah, version 80, it's, you know, it's going to be more features or bug fixes. Yeah, what happens when you get to uh, 99, you're going to go to 0. 0.100 because that then, you know, starts breaking some rules as well. With oh, we had the problem before when we hit version 0. 0.9, people were like, oh, now we're going to hit 1.0. And they were like, no, we're going to be 0. 0.10. <laughs> but yeah, because right now we are not using the first, uh, it's always 0. dot, So we might as well just cut it off. Um, more things in uh, release five one. Uh, the vacuum component. I'm quite quite excited to see that. Even though I'll, in this house, at least, will never have a robot vacuum because there's too many levels. Uh, you know, just little steps up into rooms and things, which means that we'd need like ten robot vacuums. <laughs> I do like that the, they're becoming so popular now that it needs a component because there's so many different varieties of them. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah, it's good to see it. I think that's kind of a you know a sign to say, hey, this this set of things is now important enough that we've got a whole component for it. I think a big driver here has also been that all these vacuum cleaners have been uh, rapidly improving their functionality. So it used to be that there was Roomba and then there was Nito, and they kind of got more competition from like Xiaomi, the Chinese manufacturer, um, and. Mm. The competition is like lower the prices, has increased the functionality. So now we all can like on our mobile phone look at the map that the vacuum cleaner has made of your house. Um, these kind of cool functionalities. And now there's uh, the new Dyson vacuum cleaner also is now supported in Home Assistant. It's kind of really mainstream, isn't it? You know, Dyson's kind of the yeah. you know gold standard for vacuum cleaners almost. Um. Yeah, that I that I think robot vacuums are kind of one of the you know things that when you know you watch movies with you know future, um, you know like looking into the future, one of them is you know yeah your house cleans itself while you're not at home, and this is this is the first step. Yeah, well, in my experience, it doesn't the the automatic scheduling doesn't work for me because the the floors need to be kind of clean. So, for example, I had my Mac charger was laying on the floor, and then the vacuum would turn on and I would come <laughs> home and it would have, like, eaten my whole charger. I used to have an old Samsung vacuum cleaner so that would I, uh, get stuck under the TV cabinet and just, once it's stuck and it doesn't know how to get out, that's it. You've got to then go find it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have, I have experienced that one too. And so right now I have to, before I turn it on, I mean, I turn it on when I leave the house. But we first have to do, like, scan everything to see that there's nothing that it can eat. Um, so the automatic cleaning that I, my house is not there yet. That that's hilarious. <laughs> uh, I like that. Yeah, te- technology eating other technology. Next thing that we've got here on the list is the Shodan sensor. Um, so for those that don't know, Shodan is the I guess the Internet of Things discovery thing that you know 
it it does scans of the internet basically as crazy as that sounds great for finding out uh people that have still got the default username and password set on their wi-fi camera and you'd like to just see what they're up yes there's every i don't know six months or so there'll be a major news story about how the hackers are breaking into people's cameras and watching them sleep I, i swear it happens every six months and um, this is often the tool that people use, and the example on the docs page is a query for Home Assistant. So you can do a query for that and go, well, here's all the people that have their Home Assistant open to the internet, hopefully with a password set. Mm, I haven't actually had a look to see if there are any wide open to the internet. And another one was the mailbox component. Yeah, I think Paulus wanted to talk about that. Yeah, so the nice thing about the mailbox component is that it's one of the few components that actually has also implemented a panel. Um, and so with the, you know, it has actually a front-end part to it. And this is actually becoming more a trend, just like the shopping list is where, you know, we have, we're starting to get components that, you know, instead of like implementing devices, they're kind of implementing mini application um, which, you know, in this case does interact with devices because it interacts with the um, Asterix voicemail platform. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I think it's a great addition because it, uh, you know, shows more uh, developers what kind of components people can build, what kind of integrations. Um, so I thought that was a really nice addition. Yeah. It, it's good to see more um, front-end components as well. A lot of, at the moment, we're just used to a lot of state cards that can just, you know, give us information, but new interactive cards that come out with new features are great, in my opinion. Yeah, that's, um, you know, the vacuum cleaner is another good example there, actually. they uh, The vacuum cleaner has a whole uh, UI, like a more info page, uh, the, the model that shows up when you tap on an entity, uh, with like all the advanced controls uh, right there for you. Yeah, I think that's one of the things about, well, my style of development at least is that I need examples because <laughs> I'm not um, fantastic at Python especially, but if, you know, for example, with the mailbox component, someone's gone and created a panel, then I can go, well, there's all your code, so I'm just going to pick it up and modify it to make it do what I want. <laughs> that seems to be my style of Python coding. Um yeah, same with App Demon. Um, Andrew kindly created an example for me for something that I wanted to do with it, which was to add a countdown to my UI for motion lights. And he wrote that, and I took it and kind of wrangled it a bit and then had exactly what I wanted to do. So it's, yeah, it's very good to see, see that in, you know, the examples through actual proper use. Oh, very nice. Yeah, I think the the examples that the community is providing, like all the time, like people open sourcing the configuration, is actually something that's really powerful. Um, the GitHub has added topics to repositories, so you can actually search for Home Assistant config, and you see uh, tons of uh, repositories with just like people sharing their configuration and like great examples. And I, you know, Carlos' uh, repository is always a good example because he also has, like, a readme with, like, all the things that he built and, like, where in the configuration you can find it. Yeah, his repo is just unbelievable. <laughs> I've definitely been referencing that a lot. Yeah, he puts a lot of time in it. It's really great to see. 
Yeah, I think last time I looked, he had something like 700 commits. Wow. Which is just, yeah, mind-blowing. All right. Um, I think that's probably a good place to leave it if we don't have anything else. No, all good for me. Yeah, no, I'm all good. All right. Thanks, guys, for coming on. And, of course, thanks to our listeners as well. Keep that feedback coming in to feedback at haspodcast.io. I am responding to every piece of feedback we receive. And, it's yeah, it's good to, you know, connect with people that are listening, find out what they want from us and things like that. So it's great. And, as always, we'll be back in two weeks. And until then, we'll see you on Discord. Cheers, guys. Cheers.